Well, good morning, everybody. Today, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite thing to talk about, but it's something that I've experienced uh, quite a bit. Uh, we're going to be talking about discipline. And so, discipline, we often think of as punishment. We often think about it as being put in our place to be caused or to cause us to teach us a lesson to discipline us is to set us straight now the discipline that we've all experienced um, goes from when we were children all the way to today as adults as children we're disciplined by our parents as students disciplined by our teachers and our principles. And as adults, we're disciplined by our employers. And as citizens, disciplined by the law, disciplined by um, ordinances in the government. And even if some of you have been soldiers, I'm sure you are very familiar with being disciplined in the military. Now, these experiences aren't perfect, and, of course, as anything, when coming to an experience with other humans, it's tainted by sin. They typically are focused on the punishment rather than the desired outcome. We tend to see this discipline as what happens to us, and it's not something we enjoy. I remember I was thinking this morning as a kid, um, I'm sure you've had some sort of ridiculous ways of being disciplined by your parents. Um, I just thought about how when I was in trouble, and I, of course I was always in, I was more in trouble than not, and um, I, I was a troublemaker. I was a rambunctious young kid, but I remember my father, before he moved out of the house, he would have us put our nose, if I was tall enough, put our nose on the light switch. And we'd have to stand by the wall for some undetermined amount of time. And, and, and I wondered, sitting there, or if he was laying on the couch and he was, you know, taking his nap, he would have us line up with our toes against the couch. And we would be sitting there, and, and we think, okay, well, he's asleep now. We can sneak away. And, of course, he... He knew. He knew if we changed the channel. He knew if we walked away. And I was left wondering, what is this supposed to accomplish? I know it's not. I know I did something that they didn't like, and now I'm doing this silly, just standing here, and, you know, it's almost wondering, what can I learn from this? And, and of course, I didn't learn much. And so going into school... I was uh, a very uh, disruptive student. I remember when I was in fifth grade, uh, John Glenn was about to go into space again and go right around the, he was going to uh, orbit the earth. And I thought this was so exciting. You know, like I, you know, people, my parents or my uh, grandparents were able to experience man going in space the first time. And now as a kid, I can see it and I can, you know, well, I was disruptive, and they stuck me in the paper closet. And so my punishment was 
that I was in this resource room where I'm sitting there like, I don't know what I was supposed to do. I'm sure I got some assignment, but I'm staring at the bricks, thinking about all the designs and just kind of like, you know, I, I, I didn't learn anything from it. And so a lot of times my point is, is that discipline of man is focused on the punishment. It's to teach us a lesson. But what lesson did I learn if I'm just being punished? So inflicting pain or fear even, I remember my father is uh, very, I guess we'll say to be nice, uh, he, he has a temper. And so yelling and screaming would bring fear, but it wouldn't bring any difference in my behavior other than I did not want that to happen again. So man often will inflict pain or fear to try to change or prevent somebody doing that again. But really, it doesn't actually change. It just has us fear the outcome again. Now, the purpose of discipline is to instruct by correction for redirection, and it is intended to stop repetition of offense. And I mentioned, of course, as adults, as employees, or as citizens, we often are disciplined. In my early years, I was often in trouble with the law. And so I remember I had to go through eight weeks of DUI school and eight weeks of uh, drug and alcohol counseling and all sorts of things. And, and I really, after that, there, the, the law calls this rehabilitation. You get put into prison for a certain amount of time to rehabilitate you. But really, unfortunately, the outcome isn't a changed person. It's just either a hardened person or somebody that is smarter. Uh, you get smart enough to not be in trouble again. And so you try not to get caught again. So again, this discipline of man is faulty. And although there may be change to avoid the punishment, there's never really change at the root. So, let us look now to how God disciplines us. How His definition of discipline and His motivation of discipline is. Now, of course, it is correction by instruction to produce a change. But when we look at the way God disciplines, we can look that He does it differently. I said that I had a father that was not very nice and and very uh, harsh. But the Father in heaven that disciplines his children is slow to anger, and he's gentle. He's like no other father that we will ever know. Because if we indeed are his children, we're going to experience discipline. In Proverbs 3, 12, well, let me go. So the message today is grace of discipline. And I'll start by going in Proverbs 3.12. Solomon writes, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. This is quoted in Hebrews 12.6 when speaking about discipline. The father of heaven disciplines his children on this earth. Hebrews 12.8 in this section continuing on about discipline, 
the writer of Hebrews says, you were, if you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if you're without being disciplined by God, you have to wonder, am I his child? Now, in the King James Version, it has a different word, and so I do feel more comfortable reading out of the ESV today to say that illegitimate children. And there's a much harsher way to say it in the King James. But the purpose of God's discipline, nonetheless, is this. To learn to trust God and to live by His Word. The goal or desired outcome, like I said before, with human discipline, where is the outcome? What am I supposed to do? Just don't do that again. There's no redirection. So with God's perfect discipline, there's a goal at mind. And the desired outcome is found in Proverbs 3, again, where this proverb is about wisdom. And how do we get wisdom? Well, in 12, we read that it's God who disciplines his children. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, often remembered and quoted on people's walls, on people's t-shirts, it reads this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. We're called to trust, and we're called to obey. The outcome of God disciplining His children is that he, they would trust Him, and then in turn obey Him. So today we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and that's where our text will be found. Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law. Moses, uh, God gave Moses the law to be uh, a priest, to be a leader, to be a prophet amongst Israel, to be the mediator between God and Israel. And so after they left Egypt... They were delivered with a great deliverance, and they were taken around in the desert for 40 years to prepare them for what is next, for the promised land. And, of course, what did they do? They murmured, they complained. And so, Deuteronomy is Moses now coming and proclaiming and preaching the law again to the next generation proclaiming the, that these ones who will actually go into the promised land because Moses himself wasn't going to be allowed. Out of the ones who were sent to go out and scout into the promised land, it was only Caleb and Joshua who said, we can do it. It was only Caleb and Joshua who trusted. And so because of that, many of the people who were 40 years and above I think was the age, they were not allowed to cross over the Jordan. And so this is given 38 years after the exodus of Egypt. And it is chapter 8 that we will be in today is a call to remember. And it is a warning not to forget. So let us read Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
Read with me in your scriptures. Remember the Lord your God. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way of the Lord that the Lord has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, what was, test you, and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built up good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, a thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good to you in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to you, to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. God's people forgot their deliverance from bondage. They complained while they were in the desert. They were dissatisfied with the provision that God provided them. 
They doubted the victory, the victory that God would deliver them and give them the land of the Canaanites. Their fear and lack of faith, their forgetfulness resulted in disobedience. And in fact, they desired and wanted to go back into the bondage that they were in for 400 years. We, too, tend to forget. We complain and we worry. We ignore what God has done for us. Look into verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. These commandments and warnings are repeated throughout this discourse. In fact, the verse verse starts with a command and with a promise. In the last verse, the last two verses, is a warning with consequences. They are both complementary. It's an either or. Remember lest you forget. So I would like to go to my first point that we need to learn to trust. We must learn trust through discipline. God uses discipline to build our trust in Him. The method of this discipline is we've seen it several times throughout these 20 verses. Humbling you, testing your heart, and seeing if you would follow His commandments, if you would be obedient. And this process is on repeat. And every time it happens, it brings us to a greater dependency on the Lord. He shows us our need for Him as our deliverer, as our provider, as our sustainer. He causes us to be delivered. He causes us to hunger so that we hunger for Him. And He causes us to hope into Him. We must learn to trust by remembering God's grace. Discipline itself is God showing us grace. Remember, if we are his children, he will discipline us. The grace that is from God is this. Grace is undeserved favor. We deserve wrath, but by the grace of God, he saves. So hallelujah, What a Savior. And not only does God save us, but He sanctifies us. And He brings us to a closer dependency on Him. And this word, sanctify, or sanctification, if you're not familiar, it's a theological term that simply means to make us like Him. To conform us to Him. Let's read in verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God simultaneously teaches us and tests us. He is teaching his people dependency for deliverance by him. Man cannot save himself. We know this. Christ said this. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we can relate to this as God being our Savior from the bondage of sin. The house of slavery, which is carnal nature, which is being an enemy of God. 
God delivers us from the house of slavery. But if we forget, and that we often so forget, that God who saves us is the God that saved Israel, so let us not forget the God of our salvation. Let's look at verse 14. At what Israel was warned not to do because of their forgetting. And then in your heart, you will be lifted up because you'll have everything you need. And you'll be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. If we think about Timothy, a young leader in Ephesus, that Paul was, a dis- was his spiritual father and guiding him and giving him all warnings. The second letter he writes, and we see in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ, descendant of David, risen from the dead according to my gospel. Someone who is a leader, an overseer of Ephesus, needs to be reminded of Christ. So we too need to be reminded of Christ Jesus. Reminded of this. Galatians 5.1 From freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul is given the same warning that Moses, by God, so it's both, it, both of it is God speaking, but through the servant Moses and through the servant Paul saying the same thing. Do not submit again to the house of slavery. Israel did not like this discipline. They did not like being humbled or tested. We too find it unpleasant to be humbled. We so often rebel against our deliverer. We desire to go back to the sin that kept us in bondage, back to the sin that keeps us from God. Perhaps it's because it was comfortable. Although it's not healthy, the desert was not comfortable, but it was the grace of God. Egypt seemed comfortable to Israel because they knew where their next meal would come from. They had houses. They knew that even though they were oppressed, they knew they had a bed to sleep in. They knew that the Egyptians, with their fine linen, would be able to clothe them. They were trusting in the world. But we are called to trust in God alone. That although we might feel like we're in the desert, we have to look to God and His grace. That God is blessing His people with freedom and discipline. And God humbled His people by causing them to rely on Him alone. We need to learn to trust by looking to God's Word. God humbled his people by allowing them to become hungry. Look at verse 3. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. God let them hunger, and he fed them with manna they didn't know, nor their fathers knew. This manna was from heaven, and it was completely foreign to them. And they had to trust the Lord that it was good for them. We would be the same way with a mystery food, wouldn't we? You want me to eat what? Flakes of what? I know you say they taste good, but I mean to eat what? You know, we really like quail, a nice roasted quail. Can't you just give me that? They failed by complaining, by not being satisfied with God's provision. God, however, was teaching them that it's not the physical food that sustains them, but the spiritual food that sustains them. Verse 3 continues, and it ends with this, that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God supernaturally sustains his people. And we see a clear example of this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, both in the same chapters 4. In the beginning of chapters 4, Matthew is 1 through 11, and Luke is 1 through 13, if you would like to write that down. And this account of Christ is him being tempted in the desert. And this is a direct parallel to Deuteronomy 8. Christ goes into the desert, and he becomes, he goes in hungry, and he doesn't eat for 40 days. He goes 40 days that is representing the 40 years of wandering that Israel had in the desert. And praise God that the Father has provided for him. And Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was humbled and tested in his heart to see if he would follow what the Father had for him to do. So did he? Did Christ follow the Father's commands? Yes, he did, and he did so perfectly. When Satan tempts Christ to turn a stone into bread, and notice that Satan himself didn't say, I would do it, but he knew that only Christ himself could turn a stone into bread. He says this, Turn the stone into bread. But Christ rebukes him by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. In Matthew 4.4, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so... Christ being fully man, of course he's fully God also, but think about his humanity. He was fully human. And to go without food or drink for 40 days, I personally don't think I can go much longer than 24 hours or a day without food, let alone water. Christ had a food that man did not know. And for us, Christ is that food. He is the bread of life. And he is the living water bringing refreshment to the soul. So are we trusting in God's provision for his wor- from his word? Are we looking to Christ Jesus, who is the word made flesh as our sustainer? Or are we looking to stones and storing up manna from today 
for tomorrow? Are we complaining about what God has so graciously given us? Beyond the physical, we are consuming, are we consuming the word of life? Not just knowing that God gives you your next meal or God gives you your clothes. Are you hungry for the word of God? Is it hidden in your heart that you may not sin against him? Are you trusting in God's word? But know this, that God's word not only commands us, but it also gives us promises. And we must learn trust by hoping in God's promises. The living word of God includes, includes these, trust, these promises that God has sworn to us. Israel was promised the Canaan land and the uh, land of milk and honey. What happened? They were scared of the giants of the land, and they doubted God would bring victory. They looked to themselves for strength. Let's look at these verses from 7 to 11, back in Deuteronomy 8. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, and of fountains and springs, flowing in, in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of figs, or vines and fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. God was bringing them into a good land, full of life, crops, fruit, honey. They wouldn't be eating manna anymore, but they would have an abundance of bread. They would have metals, precious metals, gold, silver, iron, copper, to be able to use for their shields, for the weapons, for their tools. But what was the tendency, what is the tendency of man that we what, what do we normally do with the abundance that God gives us? Do we use it for his glory? No, we don't. We use up the iron and we use up the copper. We use up the gold and silver to build idols. We fill our bellies and we take our land or our freedom for granted. Look at verses 12 through 14. Lest when you have eaten are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When we are full, when our bellies are full, when everything is going good, we rise up in pride, forgetting God's grace. We will rise up and say this, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Imagine this now in our spiritual life. We gain victories over besetting sins. We have a moment, whether a day, a week, or a month, of self-control. By God's grace, we have overcome that sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what do we do? We rise up in pride saying, look 
what I have accomplished. It's been so many days, you know, if you've ever been or heard of the um, 12-step programs. Hi, my name is Robert, and it's been three seconds since I've sinned last. You know, it, it's, it's the culture of man is, I have not done this for this many times. We look at our performance, we look at what we do, and we rise up in pride saying, look what I have accomplished. But can we see now that there is a need for this discipline? To be humbled, to be tested, to bring us low. That if there is no suffering or tribulation, there would be no building up of our faith. We do not experience what it is to be reliant on God without suffering. Because when we would build up good houses, have our bellies full, we have a happy life, we will rise up and say, look at my life. Look what I have done. Let's not forget God's grace. Now God promises, what does he promise us? He promised Israel the land of milk and honey. Now, God promises us conformity to his son, Christ Jesus. We read this in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Paul, also in Philippians 1, 6, says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If we have been delivered from the house of slavery, the bondage of sin, if we've been washed by regeneration and renewal by the Spirit of the Word, we can hope in this promise of God. The best spiritual blessing is this, being known by God, becoming his child, being brought into the land of milk and honey, the sweet salvation from self, from sin, and from death. So, what do we do with this trust that we have learned through discipline? If God has humbled us, and tests us, will we follow his commandments? We're to trust in God's, God's promises, God's word, God's provision, God's grace. And trusting in God results in obedience. Trusting in him causes us to love him. And loving him results in following his commandments. We wouldn't want to sin against someone who we love, would we? So here comes the responsibility, the call, the exhortation. We must learn obedience through discipline. Obeying is submissively listening. It's obeying and it is following through with what you're told. Remember a few weeks ago, we'll see if you remember, submit! I guess you, lest you forget, I guess. So, so we're commanded 
to obey, to trust in God and follow through what, what he commands. Now, obedience without faith is dead. We know this. James says this. Works without faith is dead. With faith without works is dead. They go hand in hand. Now, obedience without faith is legalistic. It's to think that you're following the rules to please God. That somehow my performance is going to make God love me more. But that is wrong. We know the writer of Hebrews says that it is impossible to please God without faith. So we must start with trusting in God. And trust compels us to obey. And obeying out of mere duty without faith will not get you anywhere but self-righteousness and pride. By humbling and testing us, we gain faith. And that faith is what is in our hearts. Humble you, prove you, test you to know what is in your heart. Is there faith in your heart? Let's look again to verse 2, the second half. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Learning to obey, we can learn to obey by remembering God's discipline. And verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. We show that we forget God and his grace by disobeying, by disobeying him. If we don't remember what Christ did on the cross, we're going to just flippantly sin without care. But every time we sin, we're putting more weight of the wrath of God onto Christ. Because Christ has died for all sin, past, present, and future of his children. But if we love him, wouldn't we want to be obedient, not causing more wrath onto God? So what were the Israelites forgetting? In verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Their clothing and their shoes didn't wear out, and their feet didn't swell. That's an interesting thing to say, that their feet didn't swell. Well, being on your feet all day, and I've worked a lot of retail and food service where, you know, I, I'm okay with 14 hours of being on my feet. And, but one thing is for sure is you have to have the right shoes. And right shoes and right insoles don't last. Well, they last, but if you're wearing them every day, five to six days a week, you might be buying shoes every six months. And maybe you can get a year out of them. But God supernaturally sustained their clothing. I know me, I mean, I don't know if it's just they don't make clothing like they used to or what, but I so often will rip my pants or, or something would happen and my clothes wear out. God supernaturally sustained their clothes and their shoes. 
And this seems like a small thing. But he also protected them. He protected them from the fiery serpents. He protected them from the terrifying wilderness. He gave them water from a thirsty land and a desert where there is no water. He gave them water out of the flinty rock. He gave them manna to eat. For what purpose? What purpose did God give his provision and his love to his people? It was to humble them, to test them, to do good to them. And when you forget God's grace, you rise up in pride looking to yourself. That is why we must listen to the Spirit and the Word concerning ourselves. We need to heed to what God's Word says about us. We know that He, God, knows our hearts and our tendencies. David says, I go to the mountains, I go to Sheol, I go sleeping, I go walking. You know everything about me, Lord. Where can I go from your presence? So let us keep that in mind, that God knows everything about us. And that is why he's the perfect father who disciplines us perfectly. He knows exactly what we need before we even ask. And sometimes we think about that as like, well, I'm going to need to pay my bills next month. But it's even beyond that. He knows what you need spiritually. He knows what you need to build your character, to change you, to conform you to Christ. So we must learn to obey by heeding God's word. God commands us and warns Israel. He commands us and he commands Israel. He warns us, he warns Israel. Commands them to remember and not forget. He tells them what would happen in their hearts if everything was just handed over to them. In verse 18, we see that we are to remember that God gives power and wealth. You have a great job. You have a great salary. You have a nice home. Even one of those homes where you have an HOA. You know, you, you think about how wonderful your neighborhood is. And you have beautiful kids. And, and that's a blessing. You know, in the Psalms, that a blessed man is one who has a quiver full. You look at your children you look at all the things that God has given you, and if you stop thinking about how it's God who provides that, you'll become ungrateful. Or you can rise up in pride saying, look what I have built. The, con- the covenant that God gives us is sure. The promise that God gives us is sure. It says this, that he swore to us. If God says something, and let alone swears it, we know that he is faithful, and he will do it. So we must learn to obey by hoping in God's promises. Israel was promised a multitude of descendants, lots of land, and in fact, God even swore this to them. God swore this to his fathers. And what were they? What, who is the father? All the way back to Abraham. Genesis 12, calling him out from his land and saying, go where I tell you to go. The one who believed God and it was counted righteousness to him. He trusted and obeyed. He showed that he trusted God by obeying his commandments. He trusted in the many promises, the descendants, many stars, 
more than stars, more than sand. The land, which even though he did not enter or did not see, he still trusted in it. And also the resurrection of the dead. Abraham had faith in these things. God promises Israel good land, that they would lack nothing, that they would be totally satisfied. This results in obedience, namely blessing the Lord, praising his name. John Piper, I think this quote is, folk, this, this is his whole basis of his ministry called Desiring God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Faith leads to obedience. Faith leads to praise. Matthew 5, 6, in the, Sermon of the Mount, or in the Sermon of the Mount, in the Beatitudes, the pinnacle comes right to the middle saying this. Christ says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I have mentioned that the promises that God has given his people as the church is to conform us to Christ. And ultimately, that promise will be fulfilled when we are with him face to face. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, if we have discipline. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. If we are God's children, we will experience his discipline. If we are God's children, we are called to trust him and obey him. If we are God's children, we have a promise. So let us remember the grace of discipline that the Lord has so lovingly provided for us. Let us commit to God's word that we may follow his commandments. Let us hope in the promises that he has sworn to his children. God disciplines his children that they may learn to trust and obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a kind, loving Father. We thank you that you have called us your children. That the love that you have lavished on us, that you would be our Father and we would be your children. I pray that you would work this in our hearts. Convict us, Lord, of our pride. Convict us of our self-reliance. Convict us of our dependency of ourselves. Let us turn to you knowing that you are our sustainer. You are our deliverer. You are our hope. Let us not turn back to the house of slavery. Let us look to you, remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, that he might be the firstborn of many. Lord, I pray, conform us to the Son, that we may trust and obey you. I pray this in Christ's name.